Welcome to Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast, where Mary Malone and her guests have authentic conversations about leadership, navigating transitions, and finding purpose both at work and at home. We hope this conversation will give you the inspiration, power, and courage to reach for greatness while making a difference for someone else. Now, here's your host, Mary Malone McCarthy. Brian, welcome to Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. It's so fantastic to have you here today and to continue a conversation that we had this spring through conscious capitalism that really hit home, I think, for both of us. So thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about the conversation today. We've got a lot to talk about. So as we open today's conversation, I would love to give our audience just a a brief overview of you and your journey and your experiences that were so impactful early on in your career that brought you to who you are today, leading Banfield Pet Hospital. Yes. Well, my my start and what really impacted me was really from the very beginning. And it was something that I had no idea that would make an impact on me the way it did. I just remember being tired of being told no, not to have money for my own freedom to go see movies or, you know, go out to eat or hang with my friends. So I got a part-time job at Walgreens drugstore as a 16 years old stocking shelves, sweeping floors, mopping bathrooms, cashiering, whatever the whatever the managers asked me to do, I did it. And, and having that first freedom to you know, get my own paycheck was pretty awesome. And I, I had no idea where the, I thought the job would lead me towards or what the impact it would have on me. Stocking shelves, working as part of a team and having an experience where when decisions were made, how it impacted people on the front lines. I remember seeing those experiences and having those experiences. I remember when the manager would come to us and ask us our opinion on what we mm-hmm. should do for our patients or for the community and seeing how when our voice mattered, how it impacted people. So that's what I refer to as inclusion. And I use that today at Banfield of when you include people to be part of the discussion, it's very powerful what you can learn and the impact that you can make. But the other two lessons I learned early on my my time at Walgreens was the power of mentorship Mm. and, and culture. So culture, no matter your role, you create culture. And I got to experience an amazing culture where people really wanted to start, stay, and grow their careers. Then I experienced a culture where people maybe not were as engaged as they were previously and how that impacted people. If I anchor on mentorship, why that's so important for me was because this was a part-time job and I ended up going to college, but I dropped out. I dropped out of college and I'll never forget two in the morning, waking up, my head buried in my hands. I'm crying because I have no idea what I'm going to do. I dropped out of college and now I'm working an hourly job on the front lines and I wasn't sure what what I was going to make of my life. And then that's when I had someone come into my life, that store manager who really mentored me, who took me under his wing and said, here's what your potential is. You have to do the work. And if you you take to this, this coaching and the direction, you could accomplish so many things. And... Seeing how working on the front lines, when you can involve a team and how people would galvanize towards making the store better so to to drive sales, to take care of your community, to drive patients' uh, satisfaction and better compliance was powerful. And then having that opportunity to become an assistant manager and to lead teams changed my life. And Mm -hmm. he he changed my life. His name is Mike Schiefling, and he absolutely changed my life by by really giving me that mentorship. And then when I got when I started to experience that culture of not being as strong as it was, you would see how it impacted people, whether it was the store managers, whether it was any of the leaders in the organization, but also how the leader, when not leading very powerfully, would impact the store team. And these are people that are that are working, trying to make a career out of it. And if they're not getting the right direction or the right culture, they often leave. And the leader's responsibility is to create the right culture to make a better world for people. So having experienced this culture, I then took the opportunity to go back to school full-time while working full-time to really get that control of my own future. So finishing my college degree was so empowering. And then it allowed me to, to take bigger steps throughout my career through from Walgreens to CVS and eventually landed me this job at Banfield Pet Hospital. 
That's fantastic. I think it's so interesting that, you know, there were so many moments early in your career that were sort of building upon who you became as a person. And I always say it sort of becomes the fabric of who you are today. You know, I think of all these types of things, positive or negative experiences that are woven together to build a person. But I think there's a certain level of awareness that you had at a young age of like, this feels really great. And I like this. And I think probably Mike, that mentor saw that in you and wanted to just keep building upon it and and give that energy towards a future leader to impact other people's lives. Yes. Well, I'm so thankful he did. And I'm thankful for that experience. And I, and I, I just can't help but think so many of us have those experiences. I mean, we, we all had that experience. I mean, going back to 16, 17 or 18 year old selves, do we, do we go back to that place and really learn the perspective of what it meant to do those jobs and to have mm-hmm. that type of impact? And I, I, I still make decisions today on what would 18-year-old Brian say or what would 16-year-old Brian say? Because at Banfield Pet Hospital, we have over 1,000 hospitals. We have over 19,000 associates. We're in 42 states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and Mexico City. And when I think about 19,000 associates essentially across our hospitals, I go back to 16, 18-year-old Brian all the time mm-hmm. because I was on the front lines when decisions were made by corporate that the store manager may have said, this doesn't make sense, but we have to do this or corporate right. says this. Or even if they were empowered and said, no, this is what we're doing. When you don't involve people and you don't talk with people or have that yeah. conversation with people, then you're just directing and you don't, you're not understanding how, how it's impacting people. And it's, it's just such a misnomer to think people are just going to do whatever we tell them to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will, but if they're not understanding and they're not buying in, then you're not creating the right culture. You're not going to get the right discretionary effort. You're not going to have people working together towards a common goal or a common purpose. And you're not going to activate and achieve your potential. And again, when I think about the decisions we make at Banfield, I go back to what is our associate thinking on the front line of this decision? And that's why our strategy at Banfield, I like to really say, is created by our associates and or with our associates. Because if we're making a decision on behalf of our associates, they don't wear it. We we send it out to them. We give them polls and surveys. Does this make sense? Because if they're not going to buy into it and they don't want it, why do it? Just because right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And that just that human need to feel heard and to contribute goes such a long way. And that leads me to my next piece that I think is just fantastic. And being in the HR field and and recruiting and retaining talent today is so different than it was. But I think the story of how when you started at Banfield, you know, they had the highest turnover rates, really tough retention issues. And, you know, most people would go to, well, what's the comp? What's the benefits? You know, hire more, deal with the attrition that way, where you really cared about the people that were leaving just as much about the people that were coming in. And you did some pretty, I would say, profound things that started with listening and caring. But, you know, I always say I am I, the poster child for you because I'm out there talking all the time about, you know, when you care and you listen and you do the right things, there's a ripple effect of good that comes from that. And most importantly, you're impacting people's lives, as I say all the time. But can you share the story of, of what you did in this listening yeah. campaign and the incredible statistics that you found and how you started to help people by addressing those issues? Absolutely. So when I when I think back to often making decisions on based on what was 16 and you know 18 year old Brian think when I joined Banfield it's easy to look at metrics and scorecards all right turnover is very high okay check 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 but why and so I think about like my, my personal values my personal values are empathy curiosity and impact mm-hmm. it's all about making an impact in, in society I'm really curious to understand like what's happening and why is it happening though And that empathy is about really listening to what our people want or what they're experiencing. Because at the end of the day, leadership is about creating that culture for for the teams in which you lead. So when I joined Banfield, I put on scrubs. I went and worked in a hospital. I'm shoulder to shoulder with our our associates, just trying to shadow them to learn like, okay, what's this procedure? How are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You know, whether it's our front person on the front desk who's making phone calls, what are you calling? Why are you calling? How do you, how do you make calls? How many calls do you have to make? Do you like right. making these calls? What yeah. are our consumers saying? What are the clients are saying, et cetera? And what I found was 
all right, turnover is high, but it was very similar to like a retail environment. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that have always pained me is, well, retail has high turnover and it's just accepted. Well, why is it? Why is Mm -hmm. it? And, and so the curiosity that I, that I had was when you quit, where are you going? And people are just going to another job that's very similar in terms of pay. Maybe it's an extra a quarter or 50 cents, but we have mm-hmm. large pay ranges. We, if, if someone's really doing the work, we can pay them more money. But why are people leaving? And it's, it's one of the proverbial, you know, people leave people, not companies. And so many people believe that until they're the leader and saying, well, no, not my people. My people are leaving for a different reason. Right, right. Leadership. So when I spent the time shoulder to shoulder listening, I, what I came to find out was, wow, people that came to Banfield wanted to be in at Banfield. They wanted to be in the veterinary industry. And they, where did you apply? I applied at this private practice, this private practice, this private practice. I applied at PetSmart, I applied at Banfield, I applied at you know, Humane Society, wherever. So many of the jobs, an overwhelming majority of the jobs were all around pets mm-hmm. because they wanted to make a better world for pets. And then yet people were leaving Banfield at a very, very high rate. So what we did was we instituted a big listening tour and the, my, myself and Dan Asia, Dr. Dan Asia, who is my Q10 best friend at work, mm. where I had to learn about the industry from him. And then my, my contribution was, all right, here's how we can make a big difference around how leadership can play a role in, in listening and in connecting with our associates. And by learning about the industry and connecting and listening at scale, we were really able to get to the, to the really the root cause of what it yeah. was. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about benefits. Now, there were some things we did around money. Mm -hmm. There were things we did around benefits, but that was really the base of the foundation. Those are the table stakes. Once we fix that, oh, you get a couple of percentage and points improvement on retention. But once we really developed our strategy was when I came out and very declarative of culture is my top priority, because I believe empathy is the most important thing. Because Strategy without empathy is an absolute wasted idea. Mm. And if you don't take care of your people, it doesn't matter. But if you take care of your people, everything else will follow. And what we found out was by by creating culture, we then said culture can be viewed and measured through our equity, inclusion, and diversity work and our health and well-being journey. And we defined health and well-being five different ways, healthy body, healthy mind, healthy finances, healthy career, and healthy community. And what's so important about that is every decision we made really said, how do we take care of our people with those five domains to make a really a better role for our associates? Because when we make a better role for them, we're going to build better intact teams, which creates better efficiency, which creates the opportunity for us to see more pets, and also for us to take care of the clients, which is really about that human-animal bond. Yeah. And so it was so important from the beginning was, yes, a strategy for our associates, a strategy for the quality of care on pets, and the strategy around how do we take care and, and uh, our clients and really have created a digital transformation. But it first started with making a better world for our people. That's fantastic. And I love that, you know, strategy without empathy. You know, you have to have empathy and you have to care, but I think you also have to show that you're going to do something about it. And, you know, I was so impressed by this. We're going to listen, but here's our plan to follow. And I I, I think that the other unique thing that you did at Banfield and the organization did as a whole is that you you listened not just about their life at Banfield, but the whole person. And yes. that is such an important thing today is to be thinking about the whole person who's showing up at work and what is happening in their lives because they are blurred. You know, as much as in the past, Absolutely. they'd say, you know, don't bring your personal life to work. Well, that's baloney. So that's crazy. It's, yeah. it's I mean, I, I lived in those environments where, yeah, yeah that's personal. You got to keep it at home. And I'm like, well, I mean, I had a really bad morning. How, I, I, how do I just turn the light switch yeah. on and just forget about all that stuff? I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it just sounds so crazy to think that yeah. we're robots. We're not, we're, right. I mean, we're, we're human, we're complex people. Yes. And, and, and it's okay. And, you, and when you show that vulnerability to people, they then in turn will show it back. Mm-hmm. And then they'll also open up because people are just starving for authentic, transparent, compassionate yeah. leadership. And I, I believe it's always been there, but it's just always been taboo to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I want to figure out how to create the conditions in which people are talking about that. And one of the things that we did was then I went on that roadshow and Dan and I went on that roadshow. We would go market after market after market. And initially it was watching 
to see what, what our leaders were doing, to see what our associates were experiencing. Then quickly we pivoted to, to role modeling. Okay, here's how you do huddles. Here's how you visit. And that way we were role modeling. So every leader in the organization knew that it's, it's I'll be bold by saying it's a condition of employment that you're going to be a great leader. If you're mm. not going to, if your how is not going to be good, I don't care what your what is. Right. Your what can have the greatest results, but if you're creating a toxic culture, it's not sustainable. And I don't want that because yeah. I genuinely believe leaders that expect more, get more, but you can have an amazing track record of results, but it comes by leading people. And when you do both, that's magical. And it's, 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 it's incredibly important. And then once we put our, you know, our, our operational excellence, our balance scorecards, all those components in, which are, which are fundamental to any business, I believe, then we are able to, to measure not just, not just the top and bottom line, but all these other lagging and leading indicators. And we would watch these different indicators. We create a balance scorecard and it was on the what and the how. Mm. And quickly across our 75 markets, you could see who rose to the top on both of those. And then when there was an impediment, we would go in and re- do, do town halls and understand how people were experiencing the culture and then we would make change regardless of a great, if it was a great result. If the culture right. wasn't there, it was not okay. And that has since led us to the best retention in the history of our organization. Well, and that's what people are looking for today. And that's, you know, what the questions that they're asking when they're interviewing and they're looking online of the organizations and those types of things. And, you know, two topics that or two, I guess, issues that you brought to lay at Banfield that are a more of a, I will even say a global issue is the mental wellness and the financial stability. And I was so proud to hear an organization say that, you know, in our industry, the CDC quotes, you know, one in six veterinarians yes. grapple with suicide. And right. that is just a staggering number coupled with financial stability. And you did a beautiful job explaining to me how they're really interconnected. And then the diversity, right? Bringing a more diverse population for the communities that you serve into Banfield. I would love our audience to hear more about that because I think there are issues not only in your organization, but there are issues in every organization. And I think that the top's been blown off and we're all talking about it now. And I think people could learn a lot from you, Brian. Well, thank you. When I think back on the culture, I, I know I briefly talked about how culture comes to life is through our equity, inclusion, and diversity journey and our health and well-being journey. One of the things that we've talked about as a team is it's about action. It's yeah. about action and it's about resolution. What do I mean by resolution? So many people are just afraid to even say no. And when you can build a connection with someone, they'll tell you anything. Mm-hmm. They'll stop talking to you if you if you don't take action, or you just give empty promises and empty you know and kind of these empty uh, you know gestures and, and and that's what they often refer to as you know typical corporate rhetoric. Yeah. And so we would go on these tours and say, "Love that idea. We're going to figure out how to do it." And then we come back and say, "Based on what you told us, here's what we're doing." We also come back and say, "Great idea, not not the right time." Or I understand, but we can't do that because mm-hmm. I have found and we have found that when you just even when you just answer people yes or no, they'll continue that conversation because obviously everyone loves to hear a yes, of course. Mm-hmm. But even a no is so powerful because it is, I heard you and I value your opinion. We can't do it for these reasons. Now you right. may disagree with these reasons, but at least there's resolution. Oftentimes, again, I go back to how many times have I been with some executive that said, what do you think about that? And you, and you give them, a, you know, him or her, your opinion. And it's like, that's great. And you're kind of thinking something's going to happen. And like, well, what happened? We yeah, never yeah. Heard that. <laughs> and it's like, well, at some point, if the culture's not right, it's like, well, you don't really want my opinion my, or my opinion truly doesn't matter. And you said this is a few minutes ago, people want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to feel valued, probably more so now than ever. And it's just, it's just incredibly important that we do that. Now, specific to like mental health, we, we've taken a deeper dive on, on these societal issues. I believe in the intersection of pet health and societal well-being. We're not just in the business of taking care of pets. We're also in the business of really improving society. And societal well-being is about what are the big issues in society and how do they impact our people our pets or our clients and and what's the big issue how does it impact us and what's our response so do we just have a response saying that we have we're in favor or not in favor of something but then also once we get enough data 
what are we going to do about it? So how do we truly become a beacon for how companies ought to behave in society? Mm -hmm. And the issues around mental health, I mean, gosh, what we all experienced through a global pandemic, I don't care. You could be the leader of a Fortune 500 company. You're still a person and and you you had to, you, you experienced something no one else experienced. Yeah. None of us experienced a global pandemic and you're, you experience it differently because you have a different set of circumstances and conditions and sharing that is okay. And, and, or trying to keep everything bottled up is not okay because you're not, I think again, role modeling those right behaviors. So mental health, even before the pandemic, the stats, what you reported are correct. What we found is one in six veterinarians mm. contemplate suicide at some point in their career. One in 10 have a mental health issue. And those those stats are just stunning and upsetting. But I, I can be stunned and I can be upset. But what am I going to do about it? Exactly. People want action. They don't want sympathy. Empathy and sympathy are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And we then said, all right, well, we have to do something about this. And, you know, and I'm proud of our team. And then we put resources behind it as well. We created a health and well-being team to really make sure that the decisions we're making are, and, and then what we're understanding in society are able to be packaged up and talked with our associates to say, does this make an impact on you? So from free counseling that we provide to our associates to even like through the pandemic, we, we uh, partnered, have a partnership with Headspace to give the, yeah. the, the app free so people can have an, you know another type of outlet. But then also as, a, as an organization, we created a program called Ask, Assess, Support, no, which talked about destigmatizing mental health because we need to make sure that people have some tools and resources available to make sure that we are doing our part to make sure that people feel comfortable in having the conversation or understanding the tools and resources to have these outlets to go seek the help that they need to seek because right. we have responsibility not only to to our associates our veterinarians but to the industry as a whole because this issue is an industry issue it's not just a banfield issue right then also how do we create awareness around this in a society so so other businesses can figure out well what's the issue that i can tackle around mental health for our company because mental health is a worldwide issue Right, right. And, you know, Brian, you, you hit a really good point of, you know, that it's it's a worldwide issue. And interestingly, you know, through the podcast, not planned out, but mental health comes up over and over and over again in organizations and in, you know, and we did a program on, on mental wellness of just, just start the conversation, you know, yeah. because there was this stigmatism and this fear of like, well, how do I start it? I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. I don't know how to navigate this. And right. Harriet Hardy, who, who is just an unbelievable leader, you know, it said, you don't need a playbook, just get in, just start it and, and see where it takes you. And people are just so relieved that they can start to have this conversation. So I think Absolutely. it's it's fantastic, and and you 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 started to go down a, a road, which I'm just going to add to. Of, you know, as leaders, we have a responsibility, and I don't think government today is going to solve issues, but we mm-hmm. hope most people are going to get up mm-hmm. and have a job to go to. So I think as leaders, right. we can start to address some of these really important topics, diversity and inclusion, financial well being, you know, equity as far as pay, mental health we can start to move the organization. You talk about 19,000 associates. They go home to partners, spouses, families, churches, communities. I mean, the the ripple effect of how you can start these conversations and impact lives is so powerful. And I just, I'm, I'm really, you know, just incredibly thrilled and grateful that you have taken the stance and the, the impact that you're making. And interestingly enough, it comes back to, you have one of the highest retention rates. People really want to be a part of your organization. And so I think the message to existing and future leaders is, you know, when you're doing these types of things and you're having these conversations, it comes full circle and the whole organization, the whole person are successful. Absolutely. It is just so powerful to be able to role model the right behavior and you can really get at what people are experiencing and grappling Right. And, and we have to get out of this world of 
pre- over preparation, you know, only sticking to talking points. I yeah. mean, just be human, just yes. be human yes. because yes. it's more authentic and people are going to connect to that. I know the Edelman trust trust barometer came out and um, CEOs, local CEOs more specifically are the ones that are now the most trusted because people are looking for, they're looking for guidance yes. and direction and answers. And we don't have to be so buttoned up because it doesn't feel authentic and you can kind of just read right through that. And yep. just coming on and, and just calibrating on where you are is powerful. I remember one time, it was probably in was it March of March of this year that we finally had the weather finally broke in Portland, in the Portland area. I live in the greater area, and I, you know I, I've lived here for this six years, and I always hear about like seasonal effectiveness disorder, and you know you don't have the sun, and I'm like okay, I mean I just I I never experienced that because I, well you know thankfully I guess for for work I'm always traveling so. Right. In, you know, December, January, February, the winter months, when it's t- tend to be just gray and raining here, uh, it's half my time, I'm somewhere else, <laughs> California or Arizona or Florida or North Carolina, it doesn't matter. But I, you know, I, I would, I would have that variety. And then going through the pandemic stuck at my home, mm. just gray every single day. I didn't realize how much I needed to get out. Yes. And, and I just remember having a call one time and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, well, can we, before we start this call, like, how's everyone really, really doing? You know, and I was like, I just want to share, like, I can't wait to get outside. The sun is so great. Like, we just need to figure out how to, like, stop work and let's enjoy the sun because this is like the first sunny day that we've had. I didn't realize how much it's probably impacted me. Right. And, and, and you could just see, like, people just like, oh my gosh. Right. And, like, and it doesn't matter what they say. You can just see it. And I was like, all right, we're cutting this meeting short. Like, go outside. You Good for you. Good and for you. It's like one of those things that, I don't know, did, what did we cost our business by not having that meeting? Probably nothing, because we probably have way too many meetings anyway. But it, it just sends, like, what, what are those messages that you're sending? And we do it formally by saying, yes, we have this new benefit, or we do it formally by saying we have this. But we also do it so informally by giving people the permission to be human. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think we need it. And what a relief for those people that didn't think they could, (laughs) you know, to finally be like, oh, I can really be myself. And it's so much fun to enjoy other people authentically versus feel like you have this model that you have to follow all the time when you're certain roles and responsibilities. Well, one, well, I'll just share this when you, as you said it that way is that's why I use Instagram and how I use Instagram. I remember creating Instagram four years ago. Well, I didn't create Instagram. I wish I did. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I created my Instagram account four years ago and I I created this account because I would go to the markets and have, I could have a dinner and 40 people come to dinner and we, we talk and then, you know, dinner could be from six to 8 PM and you know, about seven 45, I'd stand up and say, Hey, listen, I have nowhere to go. I'm going back to the hotel. I'm here. I'm willing to stay all night talking to everybody, but I want to be respectful. If you want to go home to your families or your friends or whatever else you want to do, feel free to leave. And like 80% of the people would stay till 10 or 11. Mm. And and I just always love that ability to talk with people. But then I'd go back to the office and we didn't really have a great way of connecting at scale. I mean, Email is so cold and impersonal and, you know, you can create an internet, but internets just haven't worked. And, oh, well, we have a new internet. It's an app. Well, now you're still forcing people to come to you to have the conversation. So I'm asking our associates, like, where do you, you know, where are you at in social media? And, you know, almost everyone's on Instagram. So like, all right, I'm going to go on Instagram. So I started to really have this, trying to have this conversation by post things about my cats, Ashton and Kenji, or, you know, my, what was happening in my personal life or whatever. And, and, and some things around business. And what I would find was, you know, people would, of course, start to follow. But it was amazing on how I would get a like, and you can see, you know, from the handle or a comment and a comment. And then, or I'd I'd put a story and I'd get a comment and a comment. And it was just more like a thumbs up or that's cool, that's cool. And all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, this person's done 10 of these in the last 10 days. And it's like, wait for it, wait for it. And then, boom, question. Mm. And a question would come. And then, like, when, what I thought was really neat is they get the scene that, you know, they're like kind of watching from afar saying, oh, this, this is, he's posted about his cats and you know, he, he seems like he's trying to have fun in life or, you know, and this is what he yeah. cares about from like, and then people would start to engage. And then as I'm engaging back with them with, with emojis and everything else, I think it felt like it broke the barriers down. And oh, I, I mean, I, I get about 10 messages, 10 to 15 messages a day from our associates. 
And we would do these things called banter with Brian. And when I do a banter with Brian, it's a sticker format, ask me any question. I'll get 500 questions each, each banner. It's just amazing. And I just share that because like when people get to see and experience you, they get to see that, all right, this is real, or we believe it to be this. And they want to have an engagement with, with how, they, how they believe you are as a leader. And then you have that opportunity to really make a difference in people's lives. And what that's done for me is it gets me the themes of what's happening or what our people are experiencing or what our pets are experiencing because our associates are telling me yes. or what our clients like or don't like. It's like real-time daily feedback, which really informs the strategic direction of Banfield. Well, it's like the new open-door policy, right? I mean, like you think about that term, a yes. doubt of like, oh, it just feels cringy. You know, <laughs> like it, it, you're <laughs> know, like, right? this is, I'm here. Ask me any questions. I'm exactly. going to throw out what's going to my personal life, but it's great. And when you and I were chatting, we were talking about just, you know, changing times, changing expectations yes. for leaders. But I think for our associates, like the the it's we want to see a change in expectations for leaders. And we are really want to call to you to step up and share and be more authentic because I think it it helps us become stronger and change our organizations for the better. So I think that is fantastic. You know, one of the statistics that I was sharing with you that is staggering to me is, you know, that April was the great resignation month. And every time I say that, I sort of pause it, but the great resignation month (laughs) of how many people resigned with no plan. And it was funny. I was talking to a CEO the other day. He goes, Mary Malone, I got to tell you this story. He's like, I had this person resign. They don't know where they're going. They don't, I mean, big compensation, big role response. They just left. And I said, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, well, what do you mean? I go, it's happening. And it's, it's going to keep happening because people's expectations in their personal life and their professional life are changing. And I think there's a generation that can't fathom that, you know, and they're saying, you know what, watch me, I'm going to do it. And when they're really talented, they're going to get picked up by another organization. And they're going to say, I align with their values. I align with their culture. I love what this leader is doing. I'm going to show up as me. And um, it's a very different experience. And I don't think ever in history, you know, the pandemic, the greatest resignation month. And I just saw another statistic the other day that was staggering that 52% of the top talent out there is quietly and confidentially exploring a move 52%. And that, I mean, so if that's not a wake up call for leaders to think about, you know, all that you're contributing today, you know, if once that starts, it's going to be pretty hard to slow it down. But I think when you just start, as we said at the beginning of our conversation, just show that you're listening. You don't have to have the master plan tomorrow, but you want to start on this journey with your associates makes a big difference. So I think it's just fascinating. It makes a huge difference. And if every leader would personalize people quit leaders, not companies. Yeah. You can't can't be so worried where it's consuming and and it's debilitating, but, but worry enough that what is it that I'm doing that's creating the conditions for people to stay yeah. Or to leave. And we just have to take it truly personal. And when we do, yeah. I just feel like people would show up differently for people. Like, yes. like, like when I think about earlier this year, look at how many companies came out and, and the CEO said, we will be back to the office and yeah. we will do this, this, this. And then look at how many of them retract that statement within yeah. days <laughs> or even a couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah. Because how are you saying that if your people are expecting something else? And that just shows this disconnect. And that's just the, the old standardized approach of, you know, the top would determine what everyone else does. But we live in a different age where people want personalized options and personalized approach. And, and they're, they're, they're going to do that. And right. if, we, if we don't think they are, then we're fooling ourselves. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'll just quickly mention is it's an opportunity for leaders to really look back at earlier in their careers. So again, when I think back to that 16, 18-year-old Brian, I'll even go back to like when I was in my 20s and starting my professional career, we would always view senior leaders or how did we view the senior leaders of the organization? And it was just amazing, like my peer groups, so like whether it's my generation or my, you know, my snapshot of say a five-year window of, of, of peers would always have this view of leadership and say, oh my gosh, they're so disconnected. They're this, they're this, they're this, they're this, they're this. And we now are those leaders. Mm-hmm. And if we're so foolish to think no one's saying that about us, then we're, we're, we're crazy. Right. 
but it's interesting. It's like, you know, it's, it's not that I want to know what everyone's saying about me, but what I'm interested in is what are the generalizations of the 20 something year olds of how they're, ex- what they're expecting from the leaders. Yeah. And it's never going to be perfect. But when you understand a lot of the things that you just shared, Mary Malone, they, what they want, authenticity, they want transparency, they want culture to be a priority. They want action around equity, inclusion, and diversity, not just talk. They want to see it. Mm-hmm. They want to be, they want to be allies to associate or diversity resource groups. They yeah. want to understand uh, environmental issues and what we're doing about it. Not just this talk. They right. want to understand that. So when you can spend the time with all levels of your organization and say, wow, this is what everyone is is really expecting from leadership. You can understand how situational leadership is more important, how you can flex your style when you need to flex it, but you also can shift and change the paradigm of what does it mean to run a company or what does it mean to be part of a C-suite? Because what people are expecting is just massively different than how most people potentially are leading. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that because it, and it goes back to a word you used at the beginning, curious, right? You're a curious person. And so you're asking these questions. You're like, hmm, okay, well, let's figure it out. I'm not sure. you know. So people <laughs> see that human side of you of right. not saying. And the, I think it's an even playing field for leaders today. Again, it doesn't matter your level because... There's no playbook coming out of COVID. There's no playbook coming out of a pandemic of Black Lives Matter, which is such an important topic. And, you know, this disruption in our world, you can't pull a book off the shelf and figure out how to map out the next, you know, two years or next quarter. I think it's just showing up every day, doing your best, being authentic, being curious, and asking for help from those around you at every level in the organization. Sometimes that's the most brilliant thing a leader can do is say, well, what would you like to see or how would you solve it? And, yeah. and just showing that I don't have the answer, but how do you think it would? Because it allows people's voice to be heard. And when you then get ideas, you can test them. And it's just it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, going through the pandemic, the best thing that we did was we set up daily call trees where the first call tree was from our senior leadership team to our divisional level and said, there's a lot we don't know. Yes. Well, we want to understand what people are experiencing. So here's what we're going to do. Every day, what we expect is the, so your, your first message is to go to all, every associate and let them know what's on your mind. Mm-hmm. And then it went from every hospital telling like their field director or director of veterinary quality, here are the questions I have. Yes. And they would collect those themes and they would give it to the region level. The region would say, then here are the themes from our associates in our region. That would go to the divisional level. Division would come to our chief operating officer and chief medical officer who really leads the field. And they would then give it to our senior leadership team. And then our job was to get answers, Fantastic. get answers. Or if we had any direction that we said, so then next morning, boom, Go tell everyone. And so everyone heard the same message every single day. Here are the answers to your questions. What else now? Wow. And if it was, we don't know, we don't know. And we, we, we did a lot of surveying of just like kind of poll surveys of what are you experiencing? How's culture and, and how are you feeling? And I, I and our team did a lot of town halls. And it was just amazing for our associates to say, thank you for just listening. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of answers we still don't have or questions we don't have answers to. But just the fact that Every day you're asking us what's on our mind and we're given answers is just so powerful. And we just did that because we just wanted to be just to be clear of like the lines have to be open because we can't help what we don't know, but we don't know a lot right now. And then we've, we've modified it. So we're not doing it daily, but we just learned that tremendous lesson of how powerful that connection is. Yes. Yeah. Because again, through this pandemic, I mean, there was an absolute blurriness of personal, professional and we just really needed to be just, again, human and yes. understanding that we don't have answers. Why do we think our associates are just going to come in and just do the do the work that they've right. always done? Right. It just seems foolish for us to think that way. Yeah. And, you know, Brian, you made me think of a, just a beautiful, as you were describing this, I'm picturing all the associates contributing and following this right up to the ladder, the executive team, you all talking and bringing it right back down. And how beautiful is that all those associates, I think, not to put words in your mouth, but I think it's helped us be better leaders. Oh, absolutely. Right. You know, they called 
us to grow and to stretch and to become vulnerable in a different place. And I really admire that you had such a strategy to of all those 19,000 associates to get the message up, to find the themes, to debrief, send it back down and say, you know, keep bringing them up, keep pushing them up because we've yeah. got to grow, we've got to learn and we've got to understand and we're in this together. And Absolutely. I think that that's really an incredible strategy that you guys deployed there. And when, and when people share, they'll share the good and the bad. Yes. M- meaning it's interesting. Like when, when you collect themes, it's like, why are we hearing all these questions about this benefit or why don't we have this or why not this when we have, we actually have that, but it's, it's all, it's all coming from one state, which is out of one region, right? Or it comes from this market and it, and it really gives you the perspective of, wow, I'm not hearing this from anywhere else except for two markets, Ooh, we may have the leadership impediment there of mm-hmm. how is the leader communicating? And it's about trying to try and ask the right thing. It's, it's yes, of course, answering the question, but it then goes to the right level of leadership to say, why is this question? Why are so many questions coming from this market or this state? Right. How are you as a leader making sure that people are clear on not just what's expected, but clear on the benefits or how we're taking care of them or how we're yep. keeping them safe or fill in the blank. You then are treating not just the symptom, you're really getting to the root cause of what people are or are not experiencing. And it's never going to be perfect, but our leaders have the responsibility to really just be strong communication advocates and communicating great news about what we're trying to do to make a better world for our people. Fantastic. Well, not everyone gets to be a leader at Banfield. So if you were (laughs) coaching and you were sharing some advice and you've done it throughout this entire conversation, but as our audience of, you know, existing leaders that are out there that, as I always say, sometimes we're like, I just need some energy. I'm managing a hybrid workforce. I'm managing the unknown of what's going to happen this fall. So we've got those existing leaders that might need that burst of energy. And we've also got those up and coming leaders that are craving of how to become a better leader. What advice would you have for them? Oh gosh. Well, there's, there's so much I would want to say if, if I try to be very brief on it, I think for, for the existing leader, think about how excited you were when you, when you got your job. And I just remember like my, always my first days when I got promoted, like how great I felt and like how much enjoyment I had and like, and all the ideas I thought I was going to be able to do to impact people and society. So always go back to where you came from and that energy, Mm -hmm. because when you can reconnect with that, that's the work that brought you so much joy, but it's about making that impact with people and then trying to understand if it's, if that, if that fire is still not there, what's getting in the way and how can you give the right level of coaching and feedback to make sure that you have the autonomy to really do what's right for your people. So that's what I would say. The The second piece I'll say though, is remember that perspective of your career and where you came up because we, we all had different paths to get there. And when we can look back on those early jobs, those are ultimately the people that we're leading or we're impacting or that are actually doing the work. So when you can stay closest through conversation by those doing the work, it's going to give you that level of perspective to really make sure that we're solving the right things for, for people in our organizations. For those aspiring leaders, oh my gosh, everyone wants feedback. Well, I shouldn't say everyone wants feedback. Everyone says they want feedback. <laughs> everyone wants to make sure that we're, we're, we're all doing the right things. Yeah. And so when you have ideas, make sure you're using your voice. It is mm-hmm. so powerful to use your voice because you have a level of perspective that most other people in your organization don't. And don't just assume people know. So I just always remember the best mentors I had throughout my career were the ones that, in, that encouraged that conversation and that encouraged me to, to tell them what I was experiencing or what was happening at the level. And they just love that. So find the leaders in your organization that really will cherish the feedback and the perspectives that you have, because you can truly influence your organization. And finally, the other thing I'd say is to, to grow in any career, it's not just about the results. Of course, yes, you've got to deliver consistent best-in-class results, but it's about the how. And taking care of your people is going to be everything. So take advantage of every opportunity. Say yes to every opportunity. <laughs> of course, deliver the best results, but take care of your people. And when you can do both, you're going to separate yourself from everybody else. And then you'll be able to do so many things with your life. That's fantastic. I love that you keep repeating, take care of your people, take care of your people, because that's that's so true. And that is fantastic. Well, Mary Mullen, one, one point, I'll just add. Bring it. Everyone remembers who's promoted them. Throughout my career, yes. I've, I've had so many different opportunities, 
whether it was a promotion or a lateral move. And I'll never forget every single person who gave me that opportunity. And when you think about that, it's about legacy. What are we all doing right now to create that legacy? And so that's why it is about taking care of your people. Because I I just remember being a cashier and a regional vice president coming in and having a conversation with me. I'll never forget the conversation. And he has no idea who I am, but it made a lasting impact. And this is the shadow that we cast as leaders is powerful. And often we we don't realize how big our shadows are because when we look at the position we had 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, and now where we are, we still look at ourselves as, well, I'm still just Brian. I, you know, I still like to think I'm the same person I was when yep. I was 18, well, hopefully a little wiser than I was when I was 18, by the way. <laughs> but you know, I still like to feel like I'm the same core person, yeah. but others are going to experience me differently. People yeah. experience me differently at 22 than they were at 30 and then they will today. And if I don't have that perspective, I'm not aligned in terms of how big that shadow is that I'm casting. Mm. What I say or what I do really has an impact on how people feel. So it really does come back to, we have such a huge opportunity just to impact people's lives. Use that responsibility and that shadow in a a strong and responsible way, but don't underestimate the impact that we can make on people in society. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. And it's so true because you do remember that. And I love the way you you said, you know, for leaders today, remember when, because we forget, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, I remember that manager. I remember that stretch project or they believed in me and I wasn't sure if I could do this and I delivered and I, you know, got more muscle around those types of experiences. And I actually reached out to a manager that I had early in my career that promoted me to, you know, a big role and a lot of responsibilities. And and I remember saying, Mary Malone, I believe in you. Like you are the person for this job. And I wrote him a letter 20 years later. And I said, I just want you to know the impact that you had on my life. I actually sent it through LinkedIn because I I figured that was the only way. And I said, I I think this is, I didn't, I don't want to name his name out loud, but this is, I want you to know the impact you made on my life. And I said, in, in closing, I said, I always remember that every Friday you washed your car and you brought your wife flowers. And I get, Aww. which I thought was just so sweet that he did it. He was this big corporate executive. And so he sent me a note back. He said, very alone. I'm still washing my car every Friday, <laughs> bringing my wife flowers. And I'm so grateful that you reached out and shared this story. So I think there's something about remembering, but also I think times like this to reach out and say, thank you. Absolutely. To that person who believed in you and gave you that opportunity. And because you need that. And if we can share that and we can cast that shadow in a positive way, but also reach back to those folks because when they were leading, it's very different than how we're leading today. Absolutely. You know, so they may not have had the experiences and, and those people sharing the impact that they had. Yeah, that's that's true. That's like such a great story. I mean, ha- <laughs> having that perspective and remembering how people impacted us and saying thanks mm-hmm. is so it's so powerful. And it we just sometimes really get is. so stuck in the day to day that we don't understand the interaction that we have with someone for a brief five minutes or 10 yes. minutes or, or longer, how impactful it is. There's three things. It's, it's lasting, it's indifferent and neutral, or it's negative. And we have the ability just to primarily try to be always positive up here versus just indifferent or negative because we yeah. have ability to impact. Incredible. Well, I want to be respectful of time for our listeners, but you know, I could talk to you for hours as I always say. And, you know, if there's a moment in your career, a story to share or a moment that was kind of a game changing that we could close out today's conversation with, I would so appreciate our audience having the opportunity to hear that from you, Brian. Well, gosh, I, I think two things. I shared it one of them earlier, but it was when, when I went back to school and finished my degree how powerful that was because I did something for myself at a time in which I felt scared. Mm. I felt alone and I felt, I felt weak because without that degree, I felt like I didn't have a strong path forward. And I, why I share that one again is because when you're intentional about learning it then becomes something that you remember and it really, it's something for yourself and it's Mm -hmm. something that you can give out to others. And I share that one because of the impact it obviously had in my life, but then intentionality of whether it's other schooling that I've done or just educational seminars or whatever, whatever it is that it's that dedication to, I need to learn, or I want to learn because I'm curious about X 
And if I can learn more, then I can have greater conversations within the organization at all levels to make sure that I'm actually learning and growing as a leader. Mm. I think too often we just learn and we we stop learning and we just only try to do. Yeah. And if you're only yeah. doing, you're if you're not learning, you're not staying current, you're not staying active, and you're going to become irrelevant. I would say that's probably the biggest component is really about how do we create those conditions in which we're constantly learning and connecting. Because when you're able to do that, you're going to always going to grow. And then how are you giving that back to others? I think it's it's so important. Yeah. That's such an incredible point because I think we we talked so much just today about giving and listening and executing and following through. And we do have to take time because we can only lead the best of how much we're investing in ourselves. And that is from our mental health, our mental wellness, our physical wellness, and um, and to continue to learn and surround ourselves with other great leaders. And that's what we always hope from this podcast. But, you know, what are the great books that we're reading, the articles, the trends, the, the classes and the seminars, Conscious Cap and the leadership there? There's so much out there to help us become better leaders. And I think you're right. Absolutely. We've got to, as much as we keep investing in others, we've got to invest in ourselves. So thank you for that reminder for me. I, I hear Yes. appreciate well, that and for inv- our audience. Absolutely. When we invest in ourselves, that gives us the opportunity to share. And that sharing becomes becomes incredibly important. And that learning, whether it is about, all right, I want to go deep and understand what are big issues in society. So like myself and, and our executive team, we'll spend time talking about what are big issues in society and learning about these issues and then understanding what's our responsibility, then connecting with our associates. And back to that, that conversation at scale component, when you learn more about the big issues that people are facing in their lives, you then have a different understanding and appreciation for the struggle. And then when someone shares, you're now having, again, you're having a human conversation, not a yes. business conversation. And when people are being able to be seen, valued, and heard for, for who they are as a person, you're able to connect differently. And then that's where, that's where leadership can truly make a big difference. Fantastic. I think as leaders today, we have not only a different level of responsibility, but I think it's an incredible opportunity. You know, we're leading far beyond the numbers and growing revenues. We're, we're leading and impacting lives and, and their families and their communities. So thank you. This has been just fantastic and energizing so as always, Brian. And I am so appreciative of you sharing your experiences from early on in your career and your thoughts and your vision for leading and continue. We're excited just to watch Banfield continue to grow and impact lives. And as we we come out of this pandemic, I think there's some silver lining and some great opportunities for people. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Mary Malone, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Moments with M3 Leadership Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. For more information on our vision, please visit m3placement.com.